God of grace, God of love, move our hearts and minds to a renewed sense of wonder this morning, the beautiful miracle that your Son, the Son of God, walked the earth. Warm up the coldness of our hearts. Shine your light into the darkness of our minds. Remove the double blinders of sin and ignorance from our eyes and bring us to true knowledge of you. We ask that you'd send your Holy Spirit to help us. Amen. Well, if you know uh, a little bit about me and my family, you know that uh, today started as about as, as good as you could possibly hope for. I mean, it's, it's Christmas season. We've got the poinsettias here and the, the uh, stage, the, the platform up here all decorated. And, and miracle of miracles, there's snow falling on the ground. It's a, it's a beautiful way to start a Sunday in Advent, or at least I think so. We heard the Christmas story a moment ago. But I want us to look at it again for just a moment here because I want us to see together how Luke tells this story. Listen to to Luke chapter 2, the first several verses here. In those days, Caesar Augustus issued a decree that a census should be taken of the entire Roman world, and everyone went to their own town to register. So Joseph also went up from the town of Nazareth in Galilee to Judea, to Bethlehem, the town of David, because he belonged to the house and line of David. He went there to register with Mary, who was pledged to be married to him and was expecting a child. While they were there, the time came for the baby to be born, and she gave birth to her firstborn, a son. She wrapped him in cloths and placed him in a manger, because there was no guest room available for them. Do you notice how normal the whole scene is? Do you notice how human and how typical it is I mean, Luke's telling us this story in some of the most mundane ways possible. I mean, a a man and a woman are expecting a child because of the political situation of the day. They have to travel, and at the end of the travel, she comes to term and she has a baby. It's all just very normal. I mean, this is the exact same thing that, that John was talking about that we looked at in John 1, that the Word who was with God, who was in the beginning, who was God, the Word, true God, became flesh and dwelt among us. The Word of God, true God, became human. The Son of God became human. So John and Luke are talking about the same thing, but, but Luke is talking about it so casually, so normally. He's, he's dropping all the big categories, the philosophical and theological categories that John used. John used Word or, or Logos that had all of these Greek uh, philosophy things tied to it and all these uh, Jewish things tied to it. So he's using this big category, Word, Logos. But, but Luke's not going to use any of that. He's just telling us a normal story of something that happened. A man and a woman are expecting a child, and the child is born. You know, I grew up hearing this story every single year at Christmas because I grew up in the church. And, and it just, you know, it, it assimilates into your understanding. It's a normal story. You, you get used to it. But in 2009, during this season of Advent, December 2009, this whole story suddenly took on totally different meaning for me. Because December 2009 was when Emily and I were expecting our first child. So we could suddenly see this picture of what, Luke is saying through totally different eyes. It was like seeing it for the first time. I mean, we were expecting a child, and here, Mary and Joseph, these normal humans, are expecting a child. I mean, Christmas is about the birth of, of a little baby. And so for the first time, we really understood and felt what that was like. Yes, 
what it means to expect a baby. And it's also normal. You, you look at how Luke talks about it, and, and if you have children, you can almost put yourself in this picture. You were expecting a child, and when the time came, when your wife came to full term, then she had a baby. It's also normal. And what's, what's striking about Luke's account here is just that it's, it's ordinary. It's every day. Of course, then Luke does continue the story. Verse 8, picking up again. There were shepherds living out in the fields nearby, keeping watch over their flocks at night. An angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were terrified. But the angel said to them, Do not be afraid. I bring you good news that will cause great joy for all the people. Today, in the town of David, a Savior has been born to you. He is the Messiah, the Lord. This will be a sign to you. You will find a baby wrapped in cloths and lying in a manger. Suddenly a great company of the heavenly host appeared with the angel, praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest heaven and on earth. Peace to those on whom his favor rests. So yes, this is just a, a normal human event. A woman is expecting a child and she gives birth to this baby. And at the same time, there's something extraordinary happening here that the angels testify to. This is the Messiah. This is a Savior born to the people. This is, as Luke has told us earlier, this is the Son of God born of a young woman. So what we're celebrating here is the Son of God become human, born of a normal young woman. It's an amazing occurrence that takes place in in very normal garb. So that that is what we are investigating in this, this four weeks here. We started last week in, in really digging into this question, why? Why did the Son of God become human? Why Christmas, this incredible event in this very normal, everyday garb? Why did this happen? And last week we really focused on Jesus being truly God and, and Him being the revelation of what it, it really means to see God. To see Jesus is to see God. But today we're going to add another layer of that and shifting away from this uh, uh, focus on Jesus as true God to focus on the, the true humanity of Jesus. And that's where Luke is really pointing us. Yes, what John is saying is the same thing that Luke is, what Luke is saying, but it's a little bit different of a perspective. John is highlighting for us that this is truly God. And Luke's reminding us that just like everyone else, he was born of a young woman. So today we're going to specifically focus on the question, why is it good news for us that the Son of God was actually a human, truly a human? Why is it good news for us that Jesus was a real human who walked the earth like you and I? We're going to have two key reasons why this is good news for us. So why is it good news that God's Son was truly human? First, it's good news for us because Jesus shows us how to live. So we start in 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 21. This is a section which Peter is, is explaining how Christians are to live in the sort of pagan world around them. 1 Peter 2, 21. To this you were called because Christ suffered for you, leaving you an example that you should follow in his steps. The Son of God became human to show us how to live. Peter says that Jesus is our example. We are to walk in his steps. Now, some of you will remember uh, back in elementary school, for some of you this was a long time ago, and they had chalkboards and things that are kind of non-existent right now. But 
But some of you who are older than you remember the chalkboards and, and early on in elementary school, you would, uh, the teacher would go up to that chalkboard and she would write out the alphabet, A, B, C. And the, the, the writing that she had on top was how things were supposed to look. And you were just learning to write, so yours didn't look like that, but you were to walk up to the chalkboard and, and sort of try to make yours look like hers. And again, it was never perfect, but the model was the top, and you were trying to follow that. Now, I was a little younger than this. We still had chalkboards, but we used little workbooks. We had workbooks like this, where you've got the, the sample on the left-hand side of the page. This is what it's supposed to look like, and, and you're supposed to copy that model. You're supposed to model your writing after the uh, sample that's in front of you. That's the right way, and then you're supposed to learn how to do that. So across the page, you write B, B, B. You see, I wrote that backwards so you could see it. Okay, that's good. I practiced that one, too. But this is what Peter's talking about. Jesus is the model for us. He is the example. He's the right way to live. And then we are to model our lives after him. So as we learn to write the alphabet by copying the model of these letters, we learn to live truly by living as Jesus did, following in his steps. He is the pattern for us. Now, that might not seem terribly revolutionary. I mean, after all, a decade ago, we had this big... uh, WWJD movement where almost everyone had these little bracelets on that said WWJD and you're supposed to remember what would Jesus do and and at best that was a reminder that we are to take Jesus as our model our example or to walk in his footsteps but I suspect that you and I tend to be a little underwhelmed by this idea that that Jesus is our example or that he shows us what it means to live so let's talk about hockey let's say You want to learn how to play hockey. You've never seen hockey before in your life, but you heard from a reliable witness that hockey is a fantastic sport. And let me just endorse that as a true statement. Hockey is a fantastic sport. If you have not watched hockey or played hockey, you're doing yourself a disservice. You're not too old to try. It's always a good thing to pick up. So anyway, you you learn this, and your friend invites you to uh, go to a game. Now, your friend's kids are pretty young and they're just starting off in hockey they're maybe four or five years old so the game he invites you to go to is mini mites the youngest age group they have and so you're watching this whole game progress and and you're learning about what it means to play hockey by watching these kids and what you gather from talking to him and watching the game is that the basic idea is that you want to get this little black disc from one end to the other end what you really want is to go in the net of the other team in the goal of the other team it doesn't happen very often because the kids are young and you think, well, that's fine. But, but the basic idea you get is that that's, that's, the, that's the object of the game. And then you're trying to pick up strategy from watching these kids. Now, I'm, I'm assuming that not many of you have watched young kids play hockey, but the general idea of young kids playing hockey is that everyone wants to go as close to the puck as possible. So you've got this swarm of little little players about this tall. They're incredibly cute in their little helmets. I mean, they're, they're dub- doubling their bulk by putting on all this hockey gear. They can barely move. They can barely stand up on skates. But, and there's this whole swarm of players all around the puck. My dad used to joke that you could put a, a sheet of plywood and cover all of them in one spot, all ten skaters in one little four-by-eight uh, rectangle. But anyway, you, you see that every now and then a player emerges out of this swarm this huddle and with the puck on their on their stick and and the crowd goes wild because here's a breakaway this kid has the puck he's going 
Of course, the kid makes it about 10 feet and then falls down or loses the puck or something happens. And then the crowd comes back over and swarms and they get the puck and then someone goes the other direction and the crowd goes wild because they can see the puck finally. And Anyway, it goes back and forth like this and you think, okay, well, that's hockey. I was told that it's a great sport. It, it looks, you know, it's heartwarming what these kids are doing. It's nice, but, but you're not quite sure it's as great as your friend told you. And the friend picks up on your reticence and your lack of enthusiasm for the sport of hockey. So they say, okay, well, let's go see a different level of play. Let's go down to Muskegon and watch the Lumberjacks play hockey. Now, I should probably say head to Detroit and watch uh, the Red Wings play hockey. But as a couple of you know, I just can't bring myself to endorse the Detroit Red Wings. I'm sorry. I didn't grow up here. I'm sorry. So you're going to watch the Muskegon Lumberjacks play. And this is a high level of hockey. These are, these are guys that are really, really good. And you've seen hockey before. You, you know the general object is to get the, the little disc, the, the puck, into the other team's goal. And you've seen the strategy of hockey. Everyone goes to the puck, and then hopefully someone can take it to the other end. You're expecting the same thing, just on a kind of bigger, stronger, faster scale. More skilled players doing the exact same thing. So when that puck drops for the first time, you are blown away by what you see. See, this isn't the puck drops and everyone immediately skates to it and you're expecting something like a rugby scrum to, to break out in the middle of it. No, these people are all over the ice. They're not in this little four-by-eight rectangle anymore. These guys are skating all over the ice and, and one guy actually passes the puck to another guy and, and that guy gets the puck and he looks up and makes another pass and they're skating with the puck and they're skating without the puck. They're flying up and down the ice. This is revolutionary for you. You thought hockey was what you saw with those four- and five-year-olds, but, but these guys are playing hockey. This is what it means to truly play hockey. What you and I have seen of human existence is on the level of mini-mite hockey. I mean, think about the way that the people around you live their lives. These people are not living their life at a high level. Most of us are, are searching for something more, but we're, we're so poor at actually living our lives. How many of the people that you know are really living a true, meaningful, fulfilling life? How many could you look at and say, that person is really living? We, we long for something more, but... But what more is there? We've only seen this low level of life. How could we ever possibly get to something beyond that? Our imagination is stuck here, and, and we might long for something else, but it just seems impossible. We've just never seen it. And then comes Jesus. To see Jesus is to see for the first time what it really means to have a true, meaningful human existence. Seeing Jesus is moving, having our, our minds captured by something that's totally different from anything we'd ever seen before. Everything prior to that is just mini-mite hockey, but this is now professional hockey, an actual true life. There's a theologian named John Owen who had a, a phrase that I love. He, he said, Jesus is humanity actualized. Humanity actualized. This is what it actually means to live, to have actual true life. Jesus is the prototype for humanity. So we had Adam as the, the first prototype, but he's such a failed prototype, and every single one of us follow in Adam's line, making the same mistakes he made. 
But here is the new Adam, the, the first Adam, the true Adam, the final Adam. Jesus, humanity actualized, showing us what it actually means to have a life. But let's get specific on what we mean here. I mean, we're not talking exactly about walking on water or, or the miracles that we see Jesus before. We're, we're talking very specifically about, about what Peter's talking about here. The pattern that Jesus sets for us is a pattern of obedience. Obedience, as 1 Peter 2.21 reminds us, that takes the road of suffering. Suffering even to the point of death. I mean, I challenge you, if, if you want to see the pattern of Jesus' life, go back and read through the Gospel of John sometime. And take note of every time you hear Jesus saying, I am doing the will of the Father. I am doing the will of the one who sent me. Time and time again, Jesus is pointing his followers and pointing the crowds uh, to the reality that he is obeying the one who sent him. He is obeying God. Now this is where the wind kind of goes out of the sail for many of us. We hear obedience is how to find true life. Well, no, that's, that's not really one of my core values. I mean, that's not one of the core values of American culture. I mean, freedom, yes. Liberty, yes. Obedience, that doesn't sound right. Our constant refrain is more, don't tell me what to do, as opposed to, as Jesus prayed in the Garden of Gethsemane as he was facing his death, not my will, but yours. See, obedience goes against our instincts. It doesn't seem like the right path. It doesn't seem like the way to have a truly meaningful, fulfilling life. Obedience doesn't seem like that. But then, passing and skating with your heads up does not really seem intuitive or or right to the instincts of a young hockey player. One of the things that that drives me crazy is seeing people live empty lives, seeing people just floating through day after day after day with no real substance. There's nothing there that they can really cling on to for their life. And and some people really are, are wanting more and are striving for more. And others have just given up on the fight completely. They haven't found an answer to this, and so they're just going to live one day at a time and, and, not, and try not to think about it. The thing is, the answer is, is right here. The answer is to follow the pattern of Jesus. He is the one who shows us what it means to, to truly live. So I, I want to challenge you. If you're, if you're really serious about wanting to find true, meaningful life, then you've got to take Jesus as your example. If you're really serious about it, if you want purpose, meaning, fulfillment, this is what it means to live. Jesus shows us that. For the first time, we see humanity actualized, a true human existence. This is why it's good news that Jesus was really human. If he's really human, then he can show us what a real, true human life is. There's a second reason that this is good news for us. This this is good news for us that the Son of God was truly human because Jesus gives us grace. We turn to Hebrews chapter 4. This is what Hebrews 4.15 says. For we do not have a high priest who is unable to empathize with our weaknesses, but we have one who has been tempted in every way, just as we are, yet he did not sin. So Jesus was actually human. 
His existence was like ours. He lived through the kind of things that we live through. He faced temptation like we do. Every kind of temptation that we face, he faced too. The only difference is that he didn't sin. Now we could hear that and then think back to what we just said, that Jesus is our pattern for life. And, and then we might think that that means to follow in the steps of Jesus is to live that same sinless life. And, and if and if you have tried to do that, you know how impossible that is. So you could very quickly then just go right back to hopelessness. I mean, your imagination was maybe captured for a moment when you hear that there's something more, an, an actual true human life. But then you hear sinlessness and you think, okay, well, I guess that's not for me. Yet what the author of Hebrews is saying here is this remarkable claim that it is because Jesus was truly, totally human that he can empathize with us. He knows what we're going through. He knows what it is to be tempted. He knows what it is to suffer. He knows what it is to be rejected. Jesus knows our experience, our, our weakness experientially. He has gone through it himself. Jesus faced every temptation that we face, and yet he didn't sin. Even more remarkable is the result of that, the outcome of that, what that means for us. Hebrews 4.16 Let us then approach God's throne of grace with confidence so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help us in our time of need. See, that means that Jesus didn't come to give us an example so that he could kind of wave it in front of our faces and say, see, I lived a sinless life. I lived a perfect life. Now you go do it too or you're going to spend eternity in hell. No, Jesus did that. The Son of God became human so that we can receive grace. See, this is good news for those of us who know our need. If you feel strong, and maybe this message isn't for you, but if you feel your own weakness... You have a high priest who knows your weakness. If you suffer, turn to the one who has suffered. If you are in pain, turn to the one who has pain. He knows everything you're going through. Jesus knows everything. He has experienced every temptation we face. Jesus knows. And because of that, he's able to lead us on the path to grace. The old radio commentator Paul Harvey tells a, told a, a Christmas story called The Man and the Birds, getting at the, the real logic of the incarnation. I want to read that to you because I think it, it really gets at what we're, we're talking about here. Paul Harvey, The Man and the Birds. The man to whom I'm going to introduce you is not a Scrooge. He was a kind, decent, mostly good man generous to his family, upright in his dealings with other men. But he just didn't believe all that incarnation stuff which the churches proclaim at Christmas time. It just didn't make sense, and he was too honest to pretend otherwise. He just couldn't swallow the Jesus story about God coming to earth as a man. I'm truly sorry to distress you, he told his wife, but I'm not going with you to church this Christmas Eve. He said he'd feel like a hypocrite. He'd much rather just stay at home, but that he would wait up for them. And so he stayed, and they went to the midnight service. Shortly after the family drove away in the car, snow began to fall. 
He went to the window to watch the flurries getting heavier and heavier and then went back to his fireside chair and began to read his newspaper. Minutes later, he was startled by a thudding sound, then another and then another, sort of a thump or a thud. At first, he thought someone must be throwing snowballs against his living room window. But when he went to the front door to investigate, he found a flock of birds huddled miserably in the snow. They'd been caught in the storm and in a desperate search for shelter had tried to fly through his large landscape window. Well, he couldn't let the poor creatures lie there and freeze, so he remembered the barn where his children stabled their pony. That would provide a warm shelter if he could direct the birds to it. Quickly, he put on a coat and galoshes and tramped through the deepening snow to the barn. He opened the doors wide and turned on a light, but the birds didn't come in. He figured food would entice them. So he hurried back to the house, fetched breadcrumbs, sprinkled them on the snow, making a trail to the yellow-lighted, wide-open doorway of the stable. But to his dismay, the birds ignored the breadcrumbs and continued to flap around helplessly in the snow. He tried catching them. He tried shooing them into the barn by waving around his arms and walking around, and, and instead they scattered in every direction except into the warm well-lit barn. And then he realized that they were afraid of him. To them, he reasoned, I am a strange and terrifying creature. If only I could think of some way to let them know that they can trust me, that I'm not trying to hurt them, but to help them. But how? Because any move he made tended to frighten them and confuse them. They just would not follow. They would not be led or shooed because they feared him. If only I could be a bird, he thought to himself, and, and mingle with them and speak their language. Then I could tell them not to be afraid. Then I could show them the way to the safe, warm barn. But I would have to be one of them so they could see and hear and understand. At that moment, the church bells began to ring. The sound reached his ears above the sounds of the wind. And he stood there listening to the bells. Adeste Fidelis, and come all ye faithful. Listening to the bells, pealing the glad tidings of Christmas. And he sank to his knees in the snow. The Son of God did not become human so that God could tell us, see, I told you you could live a sinless life. I told you you could reach moral perfection on your own. Nor did the Son of God become human so that Jesus could say, I did it, now you have to go do it too. The incarnation happened so that Jesus could show us the way to life. We are wandering around like, like lost sheep without a shepherd living our lives with complete ignorance of what it would mean to have a true, meaningful, satisfying life. We are totally lost. We are those birds scattered and freezing to death in a snowstorm. And Jesus is the Son of God become human, pointing us to the shelter of the warm barn, saying, come and follow me and I will show you life. Taking Jesus as our example and our pattern doesn't mean that we will suddenly become sinless and somehow earn our salvation 
That's a ridiculous concept that's foreign to the Bible. No, the Son of God became human. Taking Jesus as our example and as our pattern means following Him to the way of life. The path of life is total dependence upon God. The Son of God became human to be our example, and as a result, we receive the mercy and grace that God has given us in His Son, Jesus Christ. And so again, we return to these themes of Advent, hope, joy, peace, love. And again, it's because the Son of God became human that these are actually possible in a real, full way for us. Yes, we hopeless humans now have hope because we've seen that our, our inkling that there is something more is true, that, that there is a more meaningful, true way to live, and that this now is what it is. To see Jesus is to see what it means to actually live. And so our hope is raised. And, and with that comes the joy of realizing that there, there is something meaningful. There is, there is actual true joy, not this fleeting happiness that we always hang on to. And then finally we find peace. Our, our listless souls have found substance finally. And we have peace. And we have seen for the first time what true love is. Yes, Jesus is coming. Jesus is coming. The Son of God becomes human and we celebrate with joy-filled anticipation because it means that our pattern has come. We now know what it means to live and now we receive God's grace in Him. Please pray with me. Father, thank you so much that we have a high priest who has gone through everything that we have gone through. Father, when we feel scatterbrained, you know us. When we feel unloved or misunderstood, you know us. When we feel caught in a cycle of worthlessness or a pattern of destructive behaviors, you know us. When we consider ourselves trapped by our reputation or bored by our jobs or physically exhausted or tempted far beyond we can bear. When our humanity seems to be bringing us down, you know us. Jesus has been there. Whatever we face, you know. Jesus, your complete knowledge of us gives hope. Your lived example of a life of dependence and obedience gives excitement because now we know this is what it means to actually live. Father, thank you for sending Jesus into our world to show us the way to life. It's in his name we pray, following his example. Amen.